Uh, it's so beautiful to be with all of you. Thank you for joining us from all over the world. And uh, I'm on the beautiful island of Mallorca. I just uh, went, took a drive uh, yesterday down to the Mediterranean and it was so sparkly and blue. It was like uh, something out of what dreams may come. Even the cliffs were reflecting the sparkly blue water. The cliffs were shiny blue. It was so sparkly. And, and that's really what we're aiming for with prayer. We're coming to a sense of purity in our mind. We're coming to a sense of wholeness. We're coming to a sense of stillness. And, and prayer is our medium of miracles. So... What a great topic. And Jason and Michael were talking to me just a little while ago, filling me in about the beautiful opening session and some of the, the sharings and some of the questions. So I have kind of a full context of, of everything that's going on. I thought I'd open up right away because we have this title, Prayer, the Medium, medium of Miracles, and Actually, this comes from the 50 miracle principles at the beginning of A Course in Miracles. You know, everybody's doing the one, one thing on their watches and 11, 11 and the ones. Well, this is miracle principle one, one. It's easy to remember. It's number 11. Prayer is the medium of miracles. It is a means of communication of the created with the Creator. Through prayer, love is received, and through miracles, love is expressed. So the key words that jump out for me, medium, when you think of a medium, you often think of a conduit, a, a channel. Uh, and a conduit of what? A conduit of communication. Interestingly, it says it's a means of communication of the created, that's us, the Christ, <laughs> with the Creator. That's God. So it's a means for Christ to communicate directly with God, the Creator. Some of you have heard of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's really the, the Christ, the, the, the Holy Son of God, the Christ idea communicating with the Creator. And it's the way of receiving love and expressing love. So that's a key point, I think, that we need to remember. That's where the title comes from for this uh, workshop. And also, um, I was looking at the Song of Prayer, which I know we've looked at a bit. And the uh, uh, very first line in the Song of Prayer really jumps out because it, it's telling us how important this is. You know, we've had many topics and we've done many online retreats, but actually this is extremely important. It's so important that the very first line of the part on number one of prayer is in the introduction, prayer is the greatest gift with which God blessed his son at creation. So if you think of creation as being eternity in the kingdom of heaven, and within the kingdom of heaven, the greatest gift that was given to the creation, which is the Christ, is, is prayer. So this is the greatest gift. Sometimes we talk about um, 
special relationships in terms of the course and saying that's the ego's most boasted gift and it's its greatest weapon against waking up and knowing divine love and knowing yourself as the living Christ. But in terms of creation, prayer is the greatest gift. And one thing about prayer is it's very similar, this topic, to every other topic that we do. I would say the first thing that comes in that's important is forget what you've ever learned. It's, that's a line from Little River Band, <laughs> so many pass up the mountain. Forget what you've ever learned. In one sense, in order to come to a really deep experience of what prayer is, there's all these uh, associations uh, that have been made up by the ego, and prayer is quite associated with all of these uh, other things. And basically, I would say in terms of other things, it's basically associated with, uh, with asking and entreating. Uh, so basically, we have this association when somebody says, say a prayer, uh, there's oftentimes a prayer to God with prayer for advice. Uh, it's sometimes a request for uh, something, something to be different, uh, something to be better. Uh, it's sometimes it's a prayer to God meet my needs. You know, it, it involves asking. And uh, before we started today, I basically, I remember that, you know, prayer is basically, it shouldn't be confused with uh, with supplication and entreaty. In, in uh, and treatment. Um, so basically, I went uh, on Google and looked up to start with, let's just look at what supplication is, because this is something that the ultimate essence of what prayer truly is, isn't supplication. And what it had was for supplication, the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. So we're not supposed to be begging God, even earnestly, sincerely, humbly. Oh, God, please help me with this and this and this and this, because that's just supplication. That's just asking. What are some of the synonyms for supplication? Entreaty, plea. If you find yourself pleading with God, appealing, petitioning, solicitation. How's that? We're not supposed to <laughs> solicit God, we're we're going to go for a new a new experience, and we don't want you to be charged with solicitation when it comes to your prayers. We'd like to see you opening to the true essence of what the prayer really is: uh, beseeching, begging, pleading. You know, you get the idea. These kind of things are all associated with prayer, and. Um, I remember even if you go to like some new age churches uh, or uh, different kind of retreats and everything, and they go, okay, we're going to put a bowl up front here on the altar, and we want you to put all your prayer requests, prayer request. There it is, solicitation again, request. Another thing that I liked about learning what true prayer is, is uh, I loved it when the song of prayer was given to Helen Shuckman 
really Jesus giving us a whole dissertation on prayer. And basically, what I got from it is that prayer is your desire. So, of course, if you have desire for specific things, which is what all time and space, what the whole cosmos is about, it's a state of lack. It's a, it's a condition where there are needs. It's a condition where there are going to be desires and there are going to be requests. And we're not trying to deny what seems to be the human condition. We're not trying to deny what is our experience in time and space because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are going to reach us wherever we believe we are. And if we believe we're in time and space, we believe we're a body, then there's going to have to be guidance. It's going to have to filter through our belief system to help us. And that's why uh, I know, Raphael, you brought up uh, a long question. I stole your question in today, really wanting to go into this thing with specific. Is it wrong to ask for specifics? Is it a problem? Should I just dismiss the idea of specifics entirely? And the, the Course and the Song of Prayer really are talking about prayer and guidance in the sense that, that we have to be practical. And what practical means in Course to Miracles terms is that the Spirit will reach you where you believe you are. If you believe you're in time and space, it's not going to actually help you very much uh, just to hear the words consistently, all is God, all is one, all is good, yeah? But I have to go to the supermarket, and I've got to buy groceries. All is God, all is one, all is good. I mean, ultimately, as you clear your mind of all these false beliefs, including beliefs in linear time, then you are left with all is one, all is God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, of course, that's where this is all heading, but... We have to realize that the conditions of time and space involve asking, involve requests. Uh, they do involve a call, a call from the heart, show me, lead me, guide me. If, I'm in a, if I believe I'm in a labyrinth, if I believe I'm in a, in a maze, and I believe there are actual decisions to make in time and space, which to believe you're a human being is to believe that there are decisions in time and space, then you're going to need help to make your way through that labyrinth and to be literally at some point lifted up above and beyond the labyrinth where you go, oh my God, it's always been me. Uh, it's always been the spirit. It's always been love and there has been nothing else but but we're going to be very practical as we approach this ladder of prayer one of the things that i find is this, is i enjoy synchronicities and here i am doing this uh talk with you and one of the things that i noticed was i like the synchronicity of actually what is what is the workbook lesson <laughs> for the day. Uh, what is it that is, is, I believe it was lesson um, 96 today. Salvation comes from my oneself. And I thought, wow, 
the lesson of the day, if you're doing them day by day in a calendar of years, that lesson today, when I took a glance at it, I said, this is great because this is the foundation, this is the framework, this is the context of what I'm going to talk about today. Before we get deeper into the topic, we have to have a context. And to me, the, the greatest thing about the teachings of A Course in Miracles are the simplicity of the context. If you can just get the context of what the mind training is about, if you can get the context of what forgiveness is about, if you can get the context, the basic context of what Jesus is trying to teach, you have advanced so far in awareness that you are going to come very close to the, we'll say, the gates of heaven, the inward heaven, because the context is very important to understand. And then I'm going to give you the context and I'll give you the, uh, the, the, the core of what prayer is in that context. So the, the lesson starts off, salvation comes from my one self. It says, although you are one self, you experience yourself as two, both good and evil, loving, hating, mind, and body. This sense of being split into opposites induces feelings of acute and constant conflict and leads to frantic attempts to reconcile the contradictory aspects of this self-perception. So, to believe that you're a human being will involve acute feelings, uh, constant conflict, and also lead to frantic attempts. We know how that goes in time and space. We've all attempted frantically to uh, kind of find a solution. Uh, even in the Matrix, I don't know if you remember the Matrix, but there's a scene when when Neo is running for his life and the agents are behind Neo and they're firing these bullets at Neo and they're hitting all kinds of things around him as they keep shooting at him. And at one point, uh, he grabs his cell phone and the line that Neo said is, Miss Wizard, get me out of here. And that's really the whole prayer for all human, the human race. It's really, God, get me out of here. Take me home. Take me back to you. Take me back to the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of a nice, cute little matrix way of saying it. Mr. Wizard, get me out of here. You know, <laughs> Get me out of this crazy dream that I seem to be experiencing. And so when we talked about these frantic attempts, Jesus goes on to explain this. He says, you have sought many solutions, many such solutions, and none of So we're talking about billions upon billions, trillions of, of attempted dream solutions to escape the conflict and the, these deep, hurtful feelings of disconnect, of separation. The opposites you see in you will never be compatible, but one exists. So in other words, sometimes we talk about the world of duality, hot and cold, fast and slow, up and down, you know, male and female, and on and on and on. He doesn't say anything about dualities in the world. He says, 
the opposites you see in you will never be compatible, but one exists. So right away, Jesus is telling us there's going to be no solution in any of the dreams. We're never going to go, oh, gosh, that's the, that's the dream solution I missed. I just had to try like 10 trillion times before I finally found the one that works. Now, there isn't going to be one that works. He's telling us up front, you will never find anything. You will never do anything to reach the kingdom of heaven. The doer is part of the distraction from be still. The doer is part of the self-concept. And that self-concept wasn't created by God. God doesn't create doers. God doesn't create human beings. God doesn't create people. And so that persona, that mask that is called the self, that is so highly valued by the ego, that mask isn't real. That mask will never become enlightened. That's why even when you talk about enlightened people and avatars and everything, that's just a symbol for the spirit. That's a symbol that the spirit can use as part of, ah, this is a demonstration of, of what it's like. But people don't become enlightened. The mind has to wake up to its true self. Now, what I like about this lesson today, I just was looking at before I came on, I said, my nah, gosh, this is the whole context. The fact that truth and illusion cannot be reconciled, no matter how you try, what means you use, and where you look, where you see the problem, must be accepted if you would be saved. So there's going to be no reconciling truth and illusion. God didn't create illusions. God didn't create time. God didn't create space. That's why there are no solutions in time and space. But he is telling us that if you keep pursuing these dreams, if you don't stop and really go inside and see the futility, then you're going to be sent on a senseless series of expenditures of time and effort Hopefulness and doubt, each one as futile as the one before and failing as the next one surely will. You know, you will have to come to a point where you realize there's, you have to have a disillusionment with time and space. You're not going to be ready to forget the world and wake up and remember God as long as there are attractive aspects of time and space that you still feel might yet offer a hope of a solution. So this is why you have to Go through a period of disillusionment. Actually start, it's like Humpty Dumpty. Go ahead, fall off the wall. Crack into a million pieces. It's not the real you anyway, but it's just going to be that, that mask has got to fall. It's got to crack. It's going to crack. It's, it's not who you really are. It's not, it's not a real problem. Problems that have no meaning cannot be resolved within the framework they are set if we try to continually solve problems at the level of form, we aren't really solving any problems at all. We need a new way of thinking. We need a new way of perceiving. And prayer is our medium of these miracles, of these changes in perception. Prayer is our communication. Prayer becomes our opening to guidance, to lead the way. Spirit, you lead the way. You tell me. As long as I believe I'm a body, you tell me 
what to do, where to go, what to say. You tell me everything. You instruct me. You guide me. You lead me while I still believe I'm in the maze and I'm in the labyrinth. Now, Jesus is going to make a clear distinction here, and he's basically saying, out of all these seeming contradictory dualities in the world, the main duality, the main split, is to believe that you are a mind and a body. You know, so you've heard of these festivals and conventions, mind, body, spirit, you know, and mind and body are oftentimes used together. And what Jesus says in this lesson is, he says, nor can yourself be split in two and still be whatever, what it is and must forever be. A mind and body cannot both exist. Isn't that a helpful thing to be told? A mind and body cannot both exist. Why? One is real. <laughs> And one isn't. And what existence is, is, is reality. So that's why a mind and body cannot both exist. He goes on further, though. He says, make no attempt to reconcile the two. This mind-body stuff. Make no attempt to reconcile the two. For one denies the other can be real. If you are physical, your mind is gone from your self-concept for it has no place in which it could be really part of you. If you are spirit, then the body must be meaningless to your reality. Now, now he slips in that spirit word. Sometimes people say, well, wait a minute. Uh, okay, I'm a spirit, but maybe I'm not a body or a mind. I'm spirit. He's using... Spirit basically tells us in the clarification of terms of the Course in Miracles in the Manual for Teachers, he says, the mind is the activating agent of spirit. And so to be the activating agent of spirit is basically he's saying he's using mind in terms of divine mind. He's, he's saying basically you can't be both. You actually cannot be both. So spirit makes use of mind as a means to find its self-expression. Sometimes we focus so much on the body and we, we want to include the body and say, oh, spirit's using my body for this and spirit's using my body for that. And of course, in A Course in Miracles, it will say that the one right use of the body is as a communication device to let the voice for God speak through it. But as I said before in one of my online retreats, there are there is a part in the course where it says basically the body has no function at all. So this is where we're getting to with this lesson. You can't be both a mind and a body. You have to be one or the other. And that's the context I'm talking about today. Because as long as there is a body identification, there's going to be this intense split in the mind. And as soon as the mind comes under prayer, it comes under, a, under alignment, it becomes attuned to the spirit, then you open, open, open up to start to see that you are a mind, you are a holy mind, you are a purely mind, you are not a body, 
you are not in a body, and you have never been a body. And there is no reconciliation between that which is eternal, spirit and divine mind, and that which is temporal, that which is finite, that which is specific. We can never bring truth and illusion together and think that they both will coexist. Even uh, some of those lessons, like lesson, like people write to me a lot about lesson 29, God is in everything I see, and then lesson 30, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. It's talking about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, really, in those lessons, but it's not talking about pantheism. You know, somebody told me years ago, only God can make a tree. Well, actually, no, God, God doesn't make trees. God doesn't know about trees. God is spirit, and God knows everything in spirit. Everything is love. Everything is pure spirit. So the mind is the activating agent of spirit. Another thing that's really important to see here is that this is the context I'm talking about. You actually need to begin to think in terms of mind. Think in terms of mind. Now, you know, there are great, great teachers that have used the word mind in, in a way that's different than I'm using mind. And it's an, they use the word mind in a way that's different the way, than the way Jesus uses mind. So I just want to bring that up a little bit just so we're clear that it's not about the semantics. Krishnamurti was an amazing teacher, and, and basically for him, uh, the the problem was thought, which he associated with ego. So thought for Krishnamurti and ego were synonymous. Um, when Muji talks about mind, he's not talking about mind the way I'm talking about it. When he talks about thought, he's not talking about thought. Uh, there's many, many uh, non-dual teachers that will, that will tell you that the mind is the problem. And, and here, Jesus is telling us, it's actually who your identity. You are a divine mind. You're so much mind that you've never taken on form. You're so much mind that you've never been in a body. You know, you're so much mind that you've never been inside a dream. That's pretty mindful, <laughs> as Thich Nhat Hanh would say. That's very mindful because there's no... Uh, mind and matter. Uh, that's what Mary Baker already taught us. There's no mind and matter. There's no life, truth, substance, intelligence in matter. So this is the context that I'm talking about. Uh, I wanted to bring in another uh, passage. This time it was from uh, the manual for the te for teachers, and um, I'm going to talk about in, it in terms of healing because healing definitely comes when you realize that you are mind and that you are not a body and have never been a body. That's what the atonement is about. That's what true healing is about. Healing doesn't really involve removal of symptoms. It's actually self-realization is what atonement is about. Self-realization is what healing is about. Removal of symptoms can be reflections of the miracle, but they don't really tell you anything. There's still reflections and who you are is is beyond a, a reflection so this context of 
mind that I'm talking about, I want to talk about that a minute in terms of healing. Um, because what Jesus teaches us in Lesson 136 and, and also in the Manual for Teachers here is that heal, healing is a decision in mind. And basically, he's telling us that you can be healed, you can realize your Christ self, you can see what reality is just through the power of a decision in your mind. Salvation is a decision in the mind to, to recognize your real thoughts, the thoughts you think with God. That's all healing really is. It doesn't have anything to do with removal of symptoms. And he, how is healing accomplished? He says in the shift of perception section, basically all you have to do is recognize the complete valuelessness of sickness. And once you do, you can say, there is no gain at all to me in this, and you're healed. It's, it's really that simple. But here's the conditions. But to say this, one first must recognize certain facts. So here Jesus is telling us the conditions again. He's saying healing is extremely simple. It has to do with recognizing that you're a mind and not a body. And it has to do with, with a, an alignment and an acceptance of this fact. But you must recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. So even in terms of healing, Jesus is giving the conditions saying, you first must recognize that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. Now, how many times have we heard of things like, uh, listen to your body and listen how your body feels. Is your body tight? Is your body achy? Is your body pain? You know, the body, Jesus tells us in the Course, the body doesn't even feel. It, the mind is, tells the body what to feel. It's like a puppet. And you can give attributes to that egoically, and you can say, oh, but the body has reflexes, and the body has instincts, and those kind of things. Those are just projections of projection. He says that terms like instincts and reflexes and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. Why? Why aren't there any reflexes in the body? Why aren't there any instincts in the body? It's because the body is nothing. The body is a projection, and you can try to ascribe attributes to it, but you, you still don't make anything real. It's just you're, you're having a misperception when you think the body does anything at all. If you think the body's sick, it's a misperception. If you think the body is well, that's a misperception too. And then, here it is. This is what he, he tells us here. He says, if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. Here it is, the key. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as you perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Wow, you mean the entire cosmos 
and the entire linear world that I seem to be dealing with, this entire linear dream world, is all just what? Resistance to recognizing that the mind and not the body is the decision maker. You mean to tell me I could have self-realization and self-actualization just by realizing that my mind is where the decision is and not my body? That's all it takes is one realization and, and I'm home free? Just one recognition, one realization, and that's it? Not five, not 10, not 20? Just one recognition that the mind is the decision maker and not the body. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, can you give me some examples of this? Because it's like, gosh, that maybe it sounds pretty simple, but what's going on? Like, why am I not jumping for joy here and, and going, hallelujah, I got it. You know, there has to be something going on here. Think about it with your relationships. When you think of other people, do you really think that they have minds of their own? Do you think your spouse makes decisions in your household? Do you think your dog makes decisions? If you've got a pet, a cat, have you ever said to your cat, oh, you've got a mind of your own? <laughs> you've got a total mind of your own. What do you think all that is? That's saying that the cat has a mind of its own and it has decision-making capacity. Preferences, oh, it likes chicken better than tuna. It likes to go out whenever it wants to go out. You know, we do this with human beings. We do this with people. People even tell me that plants have consciousness. Well, does that mean that they have decision-making ability? Then you, you're projecting it onto the plant. You're, you're projecting it onto the flower. You're taking the power of your mind, the mind, the one and only mind, and you're giving it to the flower, to the cat, to the dog to your neighbor, to your spouse, anybody, even the David character. If you think I've got a mind of your own, well, maybe you should look at that too, because I don't have a mind of my own. There's only one of us here. There's only one mind, and we have to recognize the power of that mind when it's making decisions. That's the context I'm talking about. And that's why, in terms of prayer, I'll come back to our topic here, in terms of prayer being the medium of miracles, that in heaven, prayer is formless. Prayer has no request. No, it's desireless. Prayer has no supplication. There's no entreatment. There's no asking. It's, it's described in the song of prayer as a song. That's why Jesus named his booklet on pamphlet, his whole pamphlet called the song of prayer. And basically he says, the single voice creator and creation share, the song, the son sings to the father who returns the thanks and offers him unto the son. Endless the harmony, and endless to the joyous concord of love they give forever to each other. And in this, creation is extended. So really, the true nature of prayer is, is the song. The next time you hear a Beatles song, think 
God, think a song of love. Think a song of gratitude. A song is an expression. It's an extension. It's a song can be very light and joyful. And you're just clicking your heels and you're, you're snapping your fingers. Anybody who lives around me knows that I oftentimes I'm just sitting there and then they see me and I'm just singing and snapping my fingers and I seem to be gone from this world because I'm, I'm in the song. I'm just in the song. I'll sing to the birds. I'll sing to the flowers. I just am in the song of happiness and joy and gratitude. And that's actually what prayer is. Prayer is a song. That's the, that's the actual nature. It has nothing to do about, God, can you give me some advice? Ultimately, the true essence of what that, that prayer is, it's a song. And then, if this was like heaven, and you cross the line into time and space, you know, linear time, suddenly that song comes down into request. Because why? Because... Time and space is the belief in lack. Specifics are the belief that in the mind that something is lacking, and then you have to meet your needs. You know, in heaven, it's like there are no menus. There's no nutrition counsel- guidance counselors in heaven, what to eat, what not to eat. There's no exercise and fitness directors in heaven. There's, there's no uh, counselors about your cardiovascular fitness, though, that's all, that's all down in the realm of the body because that's in the realm of need and lack. And in God, there is no lack. There is no need. In that happy song of creation and gratitude, it's just oneness, singing to itself, humming along. I wrote a few things down, too, because what's so fun about about opening your mind to that happiness and that joy is that Jesus does say in the Song of Prayer, he says, you cannot ask for the echo. This, I like it when he, he uses these different words. You cannot ask for the echo. In other words, when you ask for something specific, like God grant me this soulmate, or grant me this amount of money, or grant me... Uh, the opportunity to speak at this conference or do something. God grant me this new car that I've, I've been watching in, in the drive-by and I've been wanting that car. It's not about the specifics because the specifics can be part of the echoes. And he's saying, you cannot ask for the echo. You really want to get into the joy of the fulfillment of the reality of all things are perfectly provided. You want to get into that abundance of, of the I amness. And then what comes from that abundance and the I amness in terms of this world would be these all kinds of shiny little trickles and circles that are trickling all over the place. Uh, sometimes he calls it an echo, but he says, you cannot ask for the echo. The song is the gift. So when you pray, you should be, like they talk about gratitude, you focus on the gift. Focus on the gift that's eternal, that's always been there, that's who you really are. You focus your mind on the gift, 
And then he tells us that the overtones and the harmonics and the echoes will surely follow. In other words, when you're in the gift, when you're in the gratitude, then the echoes and the harmonics and the overtures will come. You know, you'll get all, you'll get the whole full impact of the symphony, including the symbols, including the images, but you have to really focus on the gift. Don't focus on the effect. Go back to the mind and your divine mind and focus on the gift. Seek ye first, he said in the Bible, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be added unto you. Seek the gift first, seek the song first and let the overtones, the harmonics and the echoes come. Ooh, wow. I love those too. I mean, it's fun. The, the symphony is, is amazing to behold, but it comes from the desire of your heart being for God and knowing who you really are. That's why mystics focus so much on prayer. And, and Jesus even said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He was always giving all the glory, all the credit, all the everything to God. He was not interested in personal fame. He wasn't interested in personal anything because he knew he wasn't the mask of what people called the man, Jesus Christ. He knew he was the divine mind. He knew he was the spirit. So the secret of true prayer, we learn in the Song of Prayer, is to forget the things you think you need. Wow. I don't know about you, but the first time I read that line in the Song of Prayer, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in the Christian tradition, and I thought I knew what prayer was, and we were always praying at dinner tables and we were praying in Bible school on Sunday and we were praying for the different parts of the world to be healed and praying for protection for different people. And then I come to the song of prayer and I read that line, the secret of true prayer is to forget the things that you think you need. He says, to ask for the specific is much the same as to look on sin and then forgive it. Wow, that's, that's enormous. I, wow, did I have this upside down? I thought, sure, I was, I was praying for the specifics and I was sure that that was the way. And now he's saying, well, actually, he says, also in the same way in prayer, you overlook your specific needs as you see them and let them go into God's hands. There they become your gifts to him, for they tell him that you would have no gods before him, no love but his. Let me get this straight then. So when I'm believing in fear, when I'm believing in lack, when I'm not aware of who I truly am, and I'm caught up in this egoic, fear-based, lack-based system of thinking, then what I'm praying for actually in that ego uh, mindset is I'm praying for idols. And I'm looking out and I'm at the world, and I'm going, okay, I'm really lonely. Uh, I need some idols here to make me feel connected. Or I really need some things to fill up my empty cup. 
or I need to attain, accumulate, I need to possess some things of this world to not feel so small and lonely and little. And this is where, this is the ego hijacking the power of your mind, the power of your prayer, blocking out the song of gratitude and just saying, what can I do to get, 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 get? It's always trying to get, get more. Build that self-concept, build that mask, make that mask bigger and more attractive, more uh, higher achieving. You know, it's always trying to go for something more. Um, I don't know, that, that line struck me so strong. The secret of true prayer is to forget the things you think you need. There was also that section pretty late in the text of A Course in Miracles, you know, beyond all idols, where Jesus starts off with a question, what is an idol? Do you think you know an idol is for something more? It does not matter more of what. Oh, my gosh. Now it's all coming together. That's why I need to forget the things I think I need, because as long as I'm pursuing the things in this world that I think I need, instead of questioning my belief system in lack, instead of questioning my doubts, instead of questioning my fears, assuming that those are true, fears and doubt and lack, and then looking in images to fill up the empty cup, this is the, this, this is the way that, that the ego hijacks the power of prayer and it turns it into something that is totally focused on the effects and totally focused on the specifics, and it has completely forgot about the gratitude of, of creation, the gratitude of who I really am. So prayer then uh, becomes, we'll say, it's a fearful prayer. And for most human beings, obviously, this is what needs to be transcended, is, is a fearful prayer. It's a prayer of, I am lacking and I need something to fulfill me. And I will try out new dreams, new scenarios, new people, new places, new jobs, new possessions. And it's also why uh, people who, even some people that this world would judge as very successful, they can be prone to suicide because they think, I'm good at getting, I'm good at achieving, I'm good at earning, I'm good at getting, and the world tells me I should be happy, happy, happy if I achieve and accumulate and get. And then when they do achieve and accumulate and get, and they're not happy, oh my, the disillusionment is huge. It's like, well, my God, what have I done? What kind of dark road have I been on uh, buying into this worldly uh, pursuit of things? and trying to become more of something, and have more of something, and then becoming extremely disillusioned. It's because the prayer is, is fear. That's what the, the prayer has become. It's become a fear-based prayer. So prayer is your desire, and fear-based prayer becomes the desire for things, and the desire for worldly experiences. But the prayer of the heart is what you want even before you 
utter a word. You know, how it says, God knows the prayer of the heart even before you say a word. It's what is it that I am desiring? Am I desiring anything from this world or am I desiring to know myself and to know my creator? That's, that's actually the, the central question that we need to address in prayer. At one point, Jesus even says, you, you cannot judge your advances from your retreats. In other words, if your prayer is fear-based and you seem to be getting and attaining and accumulating and possessing a lot, and the world's giving you accolades, oh, the winner of the Academy Award is, you know, the best this, the best that, the award this year for the best whatever, fill in the blank, goes to, you know, if the accolades and the, and the praises of the world uh, are what you've been seeking after, then it's been a very fear-based prayer. And, and if you're having peace of mind where you're happy for no earthly reason, you're singing a song, you're, you're singing like the birds, you're just singing a song of gratitude and happiness for no particular reason, you, you aren't happy because of an attainment or an achievement in the world or anything. You're just enjoying the joy of happiness, the joy of being as you were created by God. Then that's the prayer has been lifted up from fear. And you're, you're coming, zooming into the, the, the joy of heaven. You're, being, you're up in the tractor beam. Beam me up, God. You're in that tractor beam of this is what it's all for. Beam me up. I, I'm coming. I, I give it all to you, all the glory to you, because you created me perfect. You created me in love and innocence. And whatever I tried to do, wander in the dust or make up other realms and make up other worlds, it had no effect at all. I'll be the prodigal son. I'll come home and rejoice and let's have the big party of being and let go of these illusions that somehow will be satisfied with less than everything. If the kingdom of heaven is everything, how could I really believe that anything of this earth could content me? If I already was created as everything, why would I think little stuff little gray matter, little stardust, or rearranging the stardust into different configurations, how would I even believe that that would ever content my holy mind? I must be insane to believe that there's something in form that could ever content me. Now this totally relates to prayer because Buddha talked about emptying your mind. And actually, when I look at A Course in Miracles and I, and I go into the workbook, what I find is a workbook lesson. Let's see if I can turn to that here. Some of these lessons just, oh my gosh, they just, I just completely light up. And I'll give you an example of one of them. I mean, when I first uh, got into it, the peace of God is shining that way for heaven. 
Those who seek the light are merely covering their eyes. The light is in them now. Enlightenment is but a recognition, not a change at all. It's talking about the peace of God. And then he starts to talk about what I would consider prayer. A quiet time of listening and loving. A letting go of everything I think I think and think I know. To me, that's like very prayerful. Sit quietly and close your eyes. The light within you is sufficient. It alone has the power to give the gift of sight to you. Exclude the outer world and let your thoughts fly to the peace within. They know the way. And then as he goes on, he is just saying, let all things shine upon me in that peace. He also has a prayer, I I call it a prayer, because every time I would read it in the Course, my heart chords would just start to go so fast. And it's that, that prayer, you know, simply do this, be still, lay aside all thoughts of what you are and what God is. All lessons things you've learned from the past, you know, hold on to nothing. And it ends, you know, forget this world, forget this course, and come with holy empty hands unto your God. To me, now that's a prayer, because it's doing the same thing that Buddha, all the avatars have told us, you know, is just sink deep within, let go of everything that you're holding on to in the world. Why is that important? It's because all those expectations that we have for the world to be a certain way, for people to treat us a certain way, for the world to treat us a certain way, are all based on self-concept expectations. Our mind has set up a, a holodeck, to use a Star Trek term, a holodeck in which we expect the world to treat us a certain way, to be with us in a certain way. We expect the world to provide things for us. We don't realize when we start to think about shelter and we think about food and we think about clothing and we think about the government or we think about jobs and salaries and pensions and we think about all the perks of working. When we start to think about this built environment, if we really are honest, we can see we've put a lot of expectations on the world from this body identity. And we feel we're we're at the total mercy of the world. We feel like a tiny little shadow dancing in in a crazy dream. That's what's so frantic. That's what's so intense because we we think there's a, a vast world outside of us as a body and that this, this world is always caving in on us. It's always pressuring us. It's always stressing us. But it's just thoughts. They're all just thoughts. And they're fear-based thoughts. So that must mean our prayer underneath is fear-based. It's generating this holodeck that seems to, gimme, gimme, I want, I want, I need, I need. <laughs> From what about Bob? The movie. Bill Murray plays, he plays a good uh, 
character, uh, like a, a good portrayal of lack. I want, I want, I need, I need. Gimme, 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 gimme. You know, that's the world. He's acting out the world for us. And as long as we're praying a fearful prayer, then that's how the world will be. There was a time when I was starting to look closer into prayer and I started to realize the power of prayer and I started to think to myself, whenever I want anything from this world, it sure seems that the world wants something from me. And I thought, that must be how prayer works. If giving and receiving are the same, Whatever you want from this world, it will seem, the world will seem to act out that thought, and it will seem to demand something of, of you. It will seem to demand something be a little bit different. I know um, there's been some questions written in, too. Uh, Lainey, I see you there. Uh, you had your follow-up question about uh, coming to the, into the kingdom retreat and uh, getting really clear in your mind that that you have a little difficulty in centering and connecting and going deeper you know if, if your mother seems to be there or in the same room and then uh, I read the whole thing about how the you booked it to be there with your friend and then all of a sudden it came back you know your room confirmation <laughs> and your mom's in the room again <laughs> it's like Wait a minute, am I am I people pleasing? Am I people pleasing here to, to draw forth an effect like that? A mom in the room with my friend and I. But in the end, what we have to do when we start to look at prayer and people pleasing is how subtle that is. How subtle it is, because why? Because the context I was sharing with you today is that everything is a decision in the mind, and that when I judge something in form, something specific, let's say like the arrangement of the sleeping ar arrangement, of the room arrangement, how did I get stuck in a family room? <laughs> Whatever, if I judge the form, then I'm basically saying, well, the specific is, is not really what is best for me. You know, it's like saying, I know what's best, and that isn't it. <laughs> that's, that's a bad arrangement, you know. And, and ultimately, we have to start to realize the power of our mind and the power of our decisions, that when we make a judgment about anything in form. This is even a hypothetical event that's happening in October. It doesn't matter. It could be anything. When we make a judgment, we're presuming somehow that we know best. We know something. And, and I, I guarantee you that knowing is based on the past. It's not like knowing God. <laughs> it's like knowing something from the past. And when we think we know something from the past, we have an expectation that the future should look a certain way, that the form should look a certain way, that we know what the best outcome is. When, when I was going through practicing the course, and I would just, I would watch my mind, and I would just see these habitual judgments happening over and over and over and over. 
and I, I would read the, the manual for teachers, how is judgment relinquished? And I'd pray to Jesus, you know, please lift this burden of judgment from my mind. I've got all these expectations and they just go on and on and on. He's, yeah, the, your expectations are coming from where? From your self-concept, which is the ego. It's not your real self. Your Christ self doesn't have any expectations at all. Your spirit doesn't have a single expectation. Your worldly identity is David and, and, and this identity of a self-concept is filled with judgments and expectations. Could you summarize that, Jesus? You know, like that's a pretty, that, that's, that's a sweeping statement. Yeah, he said basically whenever you think something should be different than it is, that's an expectation. That's, the, that's one expectation that you would do well to release, that, that things would be better if they were different. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a sweeping, that's a sweeping expectation. The things would be different. Do you have a, like a cure for that? You know, is there some wisdom that you might share? Yeah, let all things be exactly as they are. Oh yeah, that's the correction of that. Uh, all things work together for good. There are no exceptions except in the ego's judgment. Oh yeah, that's a correction for that. Yeah, it seems like you have told me about this correction thing. So, so ultimately, you hear me talk a lot about people-pleasing and the nuances of people-pleasing. The nuance is, is that when you are very still, when you are into the gift, when your prayer is tuned into the gift, and you're in that thank you, you know, even Ho'oponopono had four parts to it, but if you just stay in, I love you and, and thank you, you don't even need, I'm sorry, please forgive me. If you just go into the gift of gratitude, thank you, thank you, I love you, I love you. If you go into that, can tune into that, then you find that the expectations are gone and that you're not pleasing any person. You're not pleasing this person or that person or any person. Some of you might even remember in the Bible it said, God is no respecter of persons. Isn't that a lovely line from the Bible? <laughs> God is no respecter of person because God is not into masks. God's into revelation, revealing the Christ, revealing the Spirit, revealing the truth. That's what God is, totally, 100% revealing. God isn't into masks. God isn't into secrets. God isn't into hiding. But the personality self is into masks. It is persona. It's a mask. It's into hiding. It's all these things, secrets, these things that block the light, that block the truth, are all just self-concept expectations. So I think in answer to your question, Lini, it's like, it's like when you give it over, when you surrender and you say, show me the way, what you're really asking for is a state of acceptance. You want to reach a state of acceptance. Um, 
Jesus said, without judgment, everything is totally acceptable. Wow, what a gem. Without judgment, is everything totally acceptable? Wow. So what that means is you're tuning into your guidance, and the guidance is going to be what are, I'm going to the gift, what are the echoes, the overtones, the harmonics? If there's anything you want me to know, Holy Spirit, about this, uh, this Into the Kingdom uh, retreat, if there's anything you would have me say, do, I'm going to show up there. I'm going to show up there in openness, and I'm going to be in this attitude of, you lead me. You, I'll step back, you lead the way, you guide me, you show me. When I was stuck in these expectations and these judgments, uh, I prayed to Jesus. I said, you're going to have to help me here. This is, like, I have, this is like a bad habit I seem to have, and, and I don't know how to stop it. And like I've talked about, how do you stop a runaway freight train, you know? You, you don't. You actually have to have, to have a new... You're not going to stop a runaway freight train that's going down the mountain. You need help. You need help in your mind. What help did I get? When I was going through this, even questions about people-pleasing, am I people-pleasing here? Am I, am I just doing this for approval? Am I, am I compromising in my journey here, Jesus? Can you show me? Can you lead me the way? He guided me into the text of A Course in Miracles, into the setting the goal section. And he said, now I want you to go through this setting the goal section with me very carefully. Because I want you to have the purpose out front. What's your purpose? Is your purpose joy? That's okay. Happiness? Peace of mind? Whatever. Whatever that purpose is, call it whatever you want. I want you to have that out front like a torch. And the reason it's so important to have that out front is because that's the only way this is going to work. If you keep your purpose in the forefront of your mind, if you keep your purpose out front, he says you will perceive everyone and everything in this situation as contributing to your purpose. So imagine we just have this thing called sleeping room, sleeping arrangement for into the kingdom retreat. And you're going to say, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I'm not really that concerned. I want the connection. <laughs> I want the love. I want to feel the love. You're right. That's what I want. That's, that's really the prayer of my heart. I want to feel connected and joined. I want to feel in love with myself and with everyone. And if I hold that purpose out in front, when I go to this retreat with that purpose out in front, I'm going to experience what that purpose is. And I'm going to see everyone, including as completely contributing to that purpose. I'm going to perceive everyone in the situation of the whole retreat, including my sleeping room, as contributing to my purpose, just by 
my willingness to put the purpose out front. I'm not going to put the convenience and the comforts of the body of, of Lenny out front. <laughs> I'm going to put the happiness, the peace of mind, the joy out front. And I'm going to trust that everyone and everything plays their part perfectly. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have to practice that. I'm really going to have to practice that because that is not the way I'm, I'm looking at the world. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know you're not, but you ask for uh, to be freed from judgment. So I'm giving you a way to, to do it. So I did. I practiced it every time I, I would go anywhere. I would say the prayer from I'm here only to be truly helpful. I, I would put that purpose. I would focus my mind on that. And I started to realize that I was becoming so content and so relaxed and so happy and so joyful. And it didn't matter what was happening. It didn't matter at all what was happening because I was trusting that everybody was contributing perfectly. If somebody screamed and shouted, that was part of my peace. You know, I, I was actually including in everything in the situation, I was including it all in. And I wasn't trying to judge any of it, push some of it away. Oh, I would have been happy if this person hadn't showed up or if this person had kept their, their big mouth shut, then I would have been happy. It, I wasn't at the mercy of having the situation tell me how I should feel. I was going to let my purpose, I keep like a shining torch out in front, shine. I was going to be the bringer of the light. I was going to be the light of the world. Let that purpose radiate to everything and everyone. It actually works. It actually works if you practice it. You know, it, it worked for me. It must work for you. It must work for everybody because it's a law of God. It's not like special or anything. And, and it was beautiful how it worked. And it sure helped me when my travels, I'm going to Travel to this continent and that continent and this place, that place. You've heard some of my funny parables, how I sometimes I end up sleeping in a, a king-size bed with cats or somebody showing up in the bed. The next night, I'm in a closet. But I'm happy. I'm happy to be sleeping in a closet. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. Thank you, God. It was actually a nice I have a walk-in closet, and there's a mattress on the ground, and the clothes hanging there and everything. I thought, this is kind of cool. I don't have to be at the Hilton. I don't have to be at, uh, you know, some kind of extravagant place. I'm happy to sleep in a closet. That was definitely a part of that plan, you know. But I, was, I had my, my purpose out front. That's what made that closet so wonderful, because it was the purpose. The purpose that lights the world up. It's not going to be waiting for expectations to be met by other people or by, by the world in some way. So to me, these Lini, that's, that's like so practical, you're bringing it up. But in the end, the way out of people-pleasing for, forever is through having the purpose out in front. And also, I think you'll find that when you're relaxed, and you're in the joy of your purpose, your function, things, you're going to see synchronicities. You're going to see things click and fall into place. You're going to, it's going to be like the world is like a fairy tale 
And it's all for your mind when your mind is led by this purpose out front. It's the world turns into like a happy, not a grim fairy tale, but actually a happy fairy tale where things just click and flow and everything clicks in. I mean, it's, it's actually surreal. I, I've had experiences, you know, where I was teaching a psychology class years ago in downtown Cincinnati and I would show movies. It's a four hour psychology class. So I could set the movie up, show the movie, do the discussion. And then I would just go and for a dollar, I would rent a, a back a VHS video that's back in the day. And I would show the movie. Then I would finish the class, I would go over to the library and I would drop off the, the movie that I had shown and then I'd have to walk a couple blocks to the, to the main route where the bus would come and, and then the bus, I'd, I would take the bus and I would take the bus, I don't know, maybe 13 miles or something, go back to the place where I was living. And occasionally I would drop the movie off and I would look at my watch and I would get my bus schedule out and I would look at how many minutes do I have to make it to the street, to the bus stop so I can catch the next bus and everything. And Jesus is like, would you stop that? Would you stop planning, 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 only looking at bus routes and bus maps and all these things, always planning, planning, planning for the body. He says, I got it. I got it. I just want you to be happy. Put that presence that purpose out front. You just enjoy the sunshine. You walk over to the library to turn in that movie. And don't you give one thought to that bus. And don't give one thought to time. And don't give one thought to anything of this world. Just enjoy the beauty. Look into people's eyes. Enjoy all your brothers and sisters here in downtown Cincinnati on a sunny day. Have some fun. Okay, I'll have some fun. So I go over, I'm enjoying everything, turn the movie in, clueless. I am absolutely clueless about a bus, bus schedule. And I'm taking my time, I'm strolling along, strolling along, coming back over to the main street. And then as I'm standing on the street corner, ready to cross to the other side where the bus comes, I'm just smiling and thanking Jesus, saying, what a great life. I feel so happy and free. And I can, I can look as my head turns. I can see the bus coming up. And then the crosswalk turns green. And I walk across. And I walk over. And just when I get to the bus stop, the doors open from the bus. Everything completely orchestrated down to the very moment that that bus arrives, when I didn't plan, when I didn't control, when I didn't have expectations, when I trusted in God for everything, I just got right there in position and those doors opened and I hopped in and you should have seen the smile on my face like, well, this is as easy as it gets. I mean, I, I like this not planning. I like this trusting. I like what are showing up in my life. And that's the power of going in for the gift and not asking for the echo. It wasn't me at the library going, I'm going to visualize the bus coming at just the right time. It wasn't me uh, praying, Jesus, please help me so I don't miss the bus. <laughs> that's, 
that's not it either. You see there's a bit of lack in that, uh, in that one. It was actually joining in the joy, joining in the gift, and then letting all the outcomes, the, the overtures, the harmonics, the echoes, let them all, the whole symphony is there for you. Because why? Because it's your mind where the prayer is activated. It's not in a body. It's the whole perception of the world is a correct perception from the ego. Separate people, separate places, separate events, separate situations, separate circumstances. That's all fragmented perception. And when you relax and you realize how worthy you are of happiness and joy, then all the cracked pieces of the world come together into this beautiful tapestry, this holistic thing, and you're not concerned about any of the little specifics anymore. You're just beholding the beautiful tapestry and how everything is working together perfectly for good. That's really what the power of prayer is. And that's what ignites it when you realize the context is mine. You're, you're not trying to make personal prayers, personal requests. I want personal guidance. You're not trying to become dependent on, on specifics. You're asking to be released from the obsession with specifics, with the obsession for analytics, with the obsession with data. What's the data stream say? You, you actually are... Beholding the dance, beholding the beautiful dance of the forgiven world, the happy dream. And that's why prayer is the greatest gift that God gave in creation, because it's the power in your mind, not in your body, the power in your mind, not in a private mind. The mind, the one mind is extremely powerful. And when you relax, you start to behold how glorious this unified mind is. So anyway, that's my spiel. I always give a spiel. <laughs> I give my Holy Spirit Jesus spiel. And then um, I like to see how's it going. Are, are, are we you know, of one mind here? Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Is this... Is this resonating? Is this feeling uh, helpful, clarifying? You know, that's what I, I want to join with you on. And to me, this is all, that's why everything is mine. Jesus says all illness is mental illness. He doesn't even put out that there's a possibility of physical illness. He says, no, all illness is mental illness. All decisions are of the mind. The body never has made one decision and never will. So, so much for personhood making decisions. It seems that way to the human being, like there's a lot of personal decisions. But, but in the end, what is the decision of my mind? Am I aligning with my source or am I trying to block the light and play little, play personal? That's really the question. That's the question. So, Jeff, why don't we, um, we can just, I'll just ask if, if anybody has comments, questions, 
anything, responses, anything to that, that's what we're here for. We're here to join together to be illuminated, to come back to that illuminate mind that we share. And I just throw it open to see if, uh, if we've got any hands going up or digital hands or anything. And Jeff, take it away. We have lots of hands, David. Um, first on the list is Miss Teresa. Go ahead, Teresa. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, I put my hand up right away, and as I listen to you, David, I think if I really sit with this, it would be it would help me. And then I got confused again. My landlord said he's going to sell the building, so I'll have to find another place to live. I put out my intention of what criteria I wanted, but then I decided to join. What is my home? My home is in God. It's peace, tranquility, stability, safety. And I really had that joining. And then I just decided to look for places. And the first place I looked for seemed to have all that criteria. But when I went to it, uh, there's mold in the basement. And I've been a person who's very sensitive to that. And within a half hour, my throat's starting to close and my eyes burned all night. And I, my, one of my questions is, how do I know? what's the answer to the prayer because I thought that I my intention was a real joining and then this thing seemed to come along and now it's a bust then I'm angry with myself that I'm a person who is allergic to mold and who thinks I'm a body who can be affected by something like that but then I wonder maybe that's spirit's way of saying this is not where you are to be and this is the only way you can hear it so the purpose of your mold allergy is for you to listen to the fact that this isn't where you're to be. Then another facet of that is five years ago when I was trying to leave what I considered a controlling narcissistic husband, I jumped into a place, even though there was mold, I told myself, I'm not a body, I'm, I am free, blah, blah, blah. But I couldn't live there and I ended up being on the hook for a lot of money because I signed a lease ahead of time. And here I have what I consider a narcissistic controlling landlord. And am I doing the same thing? So am I being given a lesson to be repeated? But then I get confused because I feel like, well, maybe I'm just activating the past. And I don't know the difference between this is a lesson you need to take again and do better this time or stop, don't activate the past. And so I guess my questions are, when is a prayer answered like because when you so when then you get another roadblock it's not flowing does that mean i need to go back to the drawing board um why should i just go ahead and live in a place that seems to make me sick and keep in that space of prayer not listen to that and plow through even though it just like wears me down and i can't function you know at at, at least at that moment maybe I, you know and the other is when do i know that this is a lesson to just be revisited and when am I activate reactivating the past? Sorry, it's a lot, but <laughs> no, no, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Teresa. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really a beautiful, I feel your question. It's, it's a very heartfelt question. Um, I think with the context of everything being mind and the idea that we are the Christ, but there's only these beliefs that are covering it over and blocking it, you know, who we are is who we are. There's, there's no debating that, you know, 
God knows it as a fact. Jesus knows it as a fact. And, and whether we want to cover it over with beliefs, then I always like to think of the world and the dream world as a motion picture of, of my unconscious belief system. So unconscious belief system, that just means I'm not even aware, perhaps, of, of all the beliefs that I have. And I, I need to be made aware of them so that everything that seems to happen, including a landlord saying you have to move or allergies that seem to involve, you know, sneezing or throat tightening up and those kind of things. We could think of it that those are all just mechanisms that are helping us get a little more aware of what our belief system is. And you're, I can tell already you're on that trail. You're, you're in that direction. You're like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to use this. One of the, the core beliefs, aside from believing that, that I'm in a body, part of that belief that I'm in a body is that I live in the environment that surrounds that body. And that's the belief as well. Even though I've had people who have had near-death experiences and then when they're outside of their body in the corner of the room for the first time, they're like, oh, that's astounding. I thought I was in there and I'm out here. <laughs> they're like, they have like, it's a shock because they have an experience that shows them that something that they believed isn't necessarily the truth. You know, for most human beings, they believe they're looking through the eyes and hearing through the ears and smelling, tasting, touching. You know, it's very much that. And then that puts a lot of importance on that environment. Like you said, where I live. I mean, I had such a... I mean, I'm like you. I I certainly believed I, I lived within a body and within a, a place, I kind of liked having a roof over my head and uh, I kind of liked places, houses, apartments. You know, I thought, these are nice. You know, I like this. I, I'm, I'm not so much a nature boy. <laughs> I, like, I like having a building. <laughs> and then Jesus took me on walkabout for like five years uh, and I, around the United States and Canada. And that, that was definitely loosening uh, because I didn't know what was coming. I didn't, I didn't have a stable place to say I'm living here anymore. I was here and there and there and there, and it started to loosen that belief up a little bit. You might have even seen that Jeff Bridges movie, Fearless, where he seems to have an, an allergic reaction to strawberries, and yet he has these epiphanies, these amazing experience when he's on a plane that's crashing where he just, he transcends. He's totally calm uh, on the plane and he's, he's in total peace as the plane is going down. He's like total, he's in the miracle. And then the whole movie, it does come around to the point where um, I would say if there's, it's like that story of Peter with Jesus, you know, where, where Peter is focused on Jesus and he's, he's, walking on the water, and then when he realizes that his feet are on the water, <laughs> he starts to sink in, you know. It's, it's a perception. Like, wait a minute, bodies don't walk on water, <laughs> you know. That was the thought. That was the doubt thought. He was, pre- he was pretty sure. He believed bodies don't walk on water, and then he started to fall down. So it's very much like starting to think that way in terms of your life. 
the best barometer that you have is, is how you feel. So maybe even when the landlord says, well, you have to move. How do I feel? What, what, are, what is my reaction? Oh, my reaction is not coming from what the landlord said, but my interpretation of what the landlord said. That's where I'm feeling the reaction. And then, oh, I have a choice. I, I obviously must believe something that is causing me to have an interpretation about where I live. And maybe the even is, ego's even trying to run a, a number on you, like, oh, you know, you tried this before, and you tried to just affirm you didn't have an allergy, and look what, what happened, and you were stuck in that. You know, the ego's always pulling from the past to build its case of guilt and fear. It's, that's, it's all it does, is it pulls from the past, try to lock your mind into that fear. But the miracle is little by little, I started to see things more in terms of, not so much in terms of the outcomes, but in terms of the holy encounters. Like, sometimes it would seem like I'd wake up in the morning and I didn't know how the day was going to unfold, and then Jesus would take me on a series of holy encounters um, with a whole day full of holy encounters. I mean, what is this? Like the movie, like the series God Friended Me, you know, it's like one adventure after the next, after the next. And then the next day, usually the same thing. And I would say like, what is this, a Touched by an Angel episode or something? It's like it's, it's starting to turn into a, a Touched by an Angel episode. And he's like, well, yeah, that's, that's how it's going to go. I was even just watching a new, a new series on Netflix. It was called uh, Kindness Diaries uh, on Netflix. And I'm like, absolutely amazing. This British guy buys a Volkswagen Beetle yellow uh, convertible, he has it shipped to Alaska, and with no heater in it, he takes off driving from Alaska to Argentina. And he has a rule, he won't ask for money. It's like, okay, he's going to travel through <laughs> that long without asking for money of anybody and not taking along money. And, and then it's like you get to watch these adventures. It, it's actually, we, we were just talking about it today. Lisa said, oh, my God, I saw that. I was, she's like, oh, I was crying. It was so, her heart was so touched by the adventures of this guy with no home and he wouldn't ask for money so you know it's like walking up to people can i stay with you tonight uh oh, i you want to stay with me i have to ask my husband and he's probably not going to say yes so you know it was all him just being transparent and open and letting the kind reach him letting the divine providence reach him and it's I found it just heart opening watching it because underneath it was, oh, I trust. And I trust that everything that happens to me is a way to open my heart up. I would start to see this, since you're shifting of places to live, I would start to just say, wow, okay, here comes an adventure of holy encounters. And I'm going to savor them all. I'm just going to enjoy each one like it's the last one I'll ever experience in this life. And then you start to get into the fun and the adventure of that. And then you start to relax. And then amazing things happen. 
And I have had some people who have been around me that actually they, I, I remember I was going up to this place called Waynesville, Ohio, and I used to go up there and do Course in Miracles gatherings, and I used to visit and come up and like every week or two. And uh, one week I was up there, I'd been up there a number of times, and this lady who's hosting me, she had these big, thick glasses. I mean, really thick glasses that she couldn't, if you took her glasses off, she was like, everything was just a big blur. And one week I went up there and she's like, she got me to the side and she said, you're not going to believe this, David. But I was out driving one day this week and I was looking at everything and I was thinking how beautiful everything looked and how crystal clear and how sparkly everything was looking. She's like, what is going on? And then she went, oh my God, <laughs> where are my glasses? She's, I couldn't believe it. I, I could see crystal clear with everything. And and she said, I, I couldn't, it almost just, it shocked her that she was driving a car without, she wasn't, forgot to put her glasses on, but she, that was just a symbol. The body's eyes don't really see, and the body's ears don't really hear, but that was a symbol for her of that trust that she was feeling more and more as we would join together and go into these ideas and start to look at the world together in a different way that came about. So I wouldn't put pressure on yourself. I mean, if we, if you try to see yourself on the timeline and you think I'm Teresa, I have these allergies, I need to be in a certain place and now I need to find a certain place so I can live comfortably without without all, a lot of symptoms, then it's almost like, you, you know, you're trying to figure it out on the timeline. And Jesus has already said, he said, if you'll be a miracle worker for me, I will arrange time and space for you. That We have to really give it over to the Spirit and say, okay, I'm going to hold my purpose out front. I'm going to really feel how worthy I am of this, peace and happiness. I'm going to hold it out front. Now you show me, you show me, you convince me, you convince my mind. That's, and wow, if you put that on Jesus and say, you convince me, yeah, Jesus is like, oh yeah, okay. I've been waiting for that invitation. I'll, I'll, I'll convince you. <laughs> That's my job, you know. So, but thank you so much because that's so practical. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Beautiful. Okay, another hand, David. It's uh, Lisbeth. Go ahead, Lisbeth. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought um, I was very late raising my hand, so I didn't expect yet to be. Um, anyway. Um, well, I uh, wrote a question on Wednesday, and um, that was really a very, very dark day, and um, I really had a death wish that day, and, um, but I realized a lot. Um, a sweet, mighty companion. I talked with 
with her and she pointed some things out. And the thing is, I'm really um, in this whole insomnia problem. I'm, I'm just wanting to be further along than I am. And I try all the time to accept what is, but I actually don't accept at all what is because I don't accept that I'm not, I, I feel ashamed, I feel stupid that I somehow can't deal with it. And um, people are reflecting, reflecting this all the time to me, like saying, oh, I love your insomnia. It's, it's resting in spirit. And, and I feel like suffocating. I feel like, oh my God, it's very stupid that I don't see it like that. And, um, um, and then I start hiding. I don't talk about it anymore because I think it's very, they, they will, I will be exposed that I'm not far enough yet and that I'm failing. And, um, and so I really come across a lot of self-hatred and, um, I can see I've been covering it up with a lot of grandiosity. And so, yeah, my prayer now is really, I want to expose and I don't know nothing. And I want to be in that state that I don't have to know it and I don't have to be able to already be able to be further and, and be in this Ah, well, I think that's my prayer. <laughs> yes, oh, thank you, Lisbeth. I, I read your question and um, it reminded me, I did a, on this island where I am now, I did a six-week devotional and um, there was a time a woman came to devotional and she came from California and she had a stretch during that devotional where she could not sleep. And, um, and every single day, it would go on. I could just see it on her face. It just got more and more intense. She was counting the hours. She was counting the hours. She was like, this is not good. This is not right. This is not normal. It was a, there was quite a bit of self-criticism, almost like there's a standard out there like, Okay, human beings sleep there six or seven or eight, nine, ten hours, whatever. And then this is like way off the chart. Like this is abnormal. This is not human, you know. And I, and I could just, I really spent a lot of time with her, really spent a lot of time with her, a lot of one-on-one -on -one time because, because this episode of going day after day after day and counting the days and the hours that she wasn't sleeping was brought up so much intensity in her, all kinds of self-criticisms and self-judgments, like, what's wrong with me? It's just this thing going on and on and on in her mind. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? But we actually used the opportunity to, to kind of have a piercing, like a piercing of the veil. And, and it's not the first time I've had that, because I had another friend in California who I had just met who was telling my life story and saying, this is my problem. I can't 
I can't sleep. I, you know, it, it was the same presenting kind of problem. It's happened a number of times. And Kirsten actually has gone through this uh, quite intensely too, because she, she had some pretty strong unconscious beliefs around sleep and, and numbers of hours and all those things that were like, well, some people have them around food. Some people have them around sleep or relating relationships. You know, there's a lot of things. But if, if everything we perceive is just motion picture of our unconscious beliefs, then, then it is, you might say it is starting to peel off some of the, the norms and the practices and the rituals. It starts to, we start to expose this self-hatred. Like everyone who comes to this place has got a pool of self-hatred down there. And the ones that seem to adapt and adjust to the world are seem like the normal ones. They, they seem to function. You know, they, they sleep, they eat, they exercise. They're normal human beings. And then you, you are judging yourself as like, what, outside of the norm. You know, and then the mind starts to want to conclude, am I a freak? Is this like, am I a freak? Am I, am I so dysfunctional, so abnormal? But I, I know with this woman at this uh, devotional I did, you know, we had to, we rode that thing. It was like we took a, a ride on that, that horse um, of facing it because it was, it was uh, she had some intense thoughts that were just circulating in her mind that she needed to really see and break free of. And I know you, you came to that, um, to our mystery school too, which is a 30-day program. And, and also, I feel like the same thing happened for you there. It's like, you know, you started to, you start to peel away some rituals, some standards and some things, and then it gets more raw. It just seems to be more raw and more intense. And I have to say that's exactly how my spiritual journey went. You know, when I go off to hermitages, hermitages people would say david what are you doing in the woods you don't even you didn't even like the cub scouts and the boy scouts and now you're going to go live in the woods are you crazy have you lost your mind and you're taking this course in miracles book into the woods <laughs> into a little tiny trailer are, are you gonna are you trying to scare yourself to death or whatever i mean it could look that way but i actually had to face things. And I think the most important thing to know about that context, I was sharing like it's all mine, is that the ego is going to try to fool you into believing you're alone. You're like the alone freak. And, and it's not the truth. This is the same darkness that everyone is facing. It, it's just looking the way it looks for you, but it's the exact same hatred, self-hatred, and, and what Jesus does is he reminds us, he says, you think you're afraid of, of the hatred. You think you're afraid of dying. You think you're afraid of, of not being normal, of being sick. But what you're really afraid of is the redemption. You're afraid of the love that's underneath that hatred. You're afraid that somehow you would lose everything that's important, your daughter, your house, your family, if you dropped down like through that dark cloud of hatred, then the ego is saying, 
that's oblivion. You, you will, it's going to, love to the ego is oblivion. God is oblivion. Uh, heaven, truth, is, is seen as oblivion from the ego. And that's why we are so joined together in exposing and holding each other's hands through this, because we need those symbols of support. You know, and you said there was a mighty companion. It felt like a, a nightmarish day, but but you had this mighty companion that was was able to join with you, and that's that's a testimony for all of us, because I I needed it. Every one of us need that uh, helping hand, someone to talk to, someone to listen. You know, it's absolutely essential part of the healing. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for writing it out. And, and I did get the chance to read it. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's not just for you. That's for everyone. Everyone is facing that sense of unworthiness, that sense of self-hatred. That Once you start to pull a few covers off from the mask, um, you know, then you're getting into the real inner work. The real intensity and and we're we're together we're joined with you all the way i'm down here on an island in europe i've come closer <laughs> to where you are than ever and the funny thing is this isn't my first time i've come many times over here to europe since about 2006 or seven i think i've been coming to europe and i tried to set up a base for jesus and it just didn't make it. And then I tried a second time to set up a base for Jesus, and I, it didn't make it. And now I'm here again, because in, with Europe, in spite of the Spanish Inquisition, in spite of the Crusades killing Muslims in the name of Jesus, in spite of the crazy things with Rome and pedophiles, in spite of all the ego misuses of the beautiful teachings of Jesus Christ, I am back. I have landed again in Europe, and my movie here is The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, this is a new version of The Empire Strikes Back. The ego has had its way too much over here. Way too much. For centuries, the ego has been playing games. But The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire meaning the Kingdom of Heaven always gets the last word in. The ego speaks first, but the empire strikes back. And so we're joined in this, and, and that hatred you're feeling, is it's that deep egoic uh, terror that's there, but we're, we're going, we're awakening to God. I've come back here for just purely for awakening purposes, and I have landed in the southern part of... <laughs> of Europe, and I am planting my flag for Jesus Christ and the empire, and we are back. So take heart. Uh, don't judge any of those scenes, because the final scene is going to be for the glory of God. It's going to be a, the rapture is what we're, we're coming into over here. Raphael, you have to film that. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Jesus reclaims Europe. <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay. Oh, we still got some time. Jeff. 
Okay, next up is Portia. Go ahead, Portia. Um, can you hear me? Yes. I too, was, I too am surprised. Nice to see you, David. Um, Hi, Portia. I've had, so, I've had so many thoughts go through my head that, and every time someone speaks, I'm so sucked into it. I'm, I'm totally relating to what was just spoken, what you said, David. I actually really relate as well to those points in time where you described it so perfectly, like you don't have to look at the bus schedule, so to speak. And it just so, it's such a wonderful relief. And I love that feeling that, that feeling like I'm always cloaked and embraced in whatever I'm engaging in. Portia, Portia, could you sit a little closer to the mic? We're having a hard time hearing you. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't I couldn't connect on my normal platform. I had to use my phone today, I think, because David's where he's at. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Well, so the train of thought was that I love, like I feel like a bliss addict. And when I'm not experiencing that feeling of really the flowing in the guidance of the of the dance, I I tend towards wanting to recreate form where I felt it before. And then I'll I question um, like I'm. I question when I get what I think is guidance to go to this same place again. I go to Marin a lot. I feel like, am I just recreating, is my, is my mind making up signs and symbols that show me to go to this place again to experience that flow? Because certainly like what Rich was talking about yesterday, Certainly it can't happen while I'm just here at my house. So I guess, um, you know, yesterday or two days ago, I kept getting referenced to parts of the text, uh, the word fantasy. And maybe I'd just like to ask you a little bit about, I mean, I know you've got some education in the world of psychology and the power of the mind you know, making the perception that we enjoy or don't enjoy. I get, I get scared that I'm following a, a road of fantasy and that I enjoy bliss so much that I'm willing to create fantasy and get lost. And I, I've gotten lost before um, in the world of Mormonism. You know, I see it as the truth, and so it was everything um, coalesced to support that perception. Uh, and I'm afraid to go that route. I'm afraid to get lost again. Well, it's good. I think that you're bringing this up. I remember Joseph Campbell uh, was the one who coined the phrase, follow your bliss. Isn't that lovely? I mean, I, I absolutely know he was channeling the Holy Spirit, meaning follow your joy. Uh, the ego is quite clever, so it it wants to generate its own uh, everything, its own feelings of, of 
feel-good things. And so it's quite clever at doing that. But, but I do feel like the journey is there will seem to be unexpected surprises, so to speak, along the way, because it's all about uh, letting things fall away. Truly, when you follow your bliss, a lot of things need to empty out and fall away. And I always tell people out of those six stages of the development of trust in the manual for teachers, four of the six are disconcerting, uncomfortable, you know, difficult. Um, because it's that letting away. It's to the ego, it's like a giving up of something that it believes is, is good and right. The ego has made a whole world of fantasies. And when you start to just give your mind over to the love and the light and follow that intuitive voice of the spirit, then things just start to roll off, melt away. Um, things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, it just starts to roll away because there's a vibrancy there. And that's good. What you're describing, I think, of, of really being drawn into the bliss, you know, there's one part of A Course in Miracles where Jesus says the Holy Spirit needs happy learners. He's not saying the Holy Spirit needs struggling learners or the Holy Spirit needs learners who are challenged all the time. He's saying the lesson of, of joy, of happiness, of true forgiveness comes the closer you come to that joy and that bliss, it's going to like draw you. It'll, it, it's going to, you're going to be attracted to it. The attraction of love for itself is, is how this awakening is going to occur. So if you find yourself in repeated places, I don't, I don't know that there's a need to analyze it. I mean, to give you another example, again, here I am, again, I find myself on this island of Mallorca. As I was growing up in the, the first decades of my life, if somebody said Mallorca, I would say, what is, what's a Mallorca? I wasn't, I wasn't dreaming of coming to Mallorca. I, did, I didn't do vision boards <laughs> to, <laughs> to get to Mallorca and everything. I actually was here one year, uh, maybe around 2008 or nine. I think maybe 2009, and I was touring all over Europe. And then a friend of mine named Lynn uh, just said, come and visit me in Mallorca. And I'm like, well, where is that? And she said, it's in the Mediterranean Sea. And so I came here, I landed, I looked around, and I thought, yeah, pretty interesting place. And then she's like, you know, I think you're supposed to do a, a retreat here. And I, I had collected all these different currencies from all these different countries, and I had to get them all changed into euros to, you know. And then I said, well, Jesus is like, give a down payment to her and see if we can, you can rent a villa in, I don't know, maybe November, October, November to do a four-week retreat here. So I just gave her all the money and I said, and then the, right the day before I left, this house showed up and during the high season, she said, we can't usually even get into these places. They're all rented out. I, I made an agreement with the owner. and I came here and did a four-week retreat on an island I'd never had heard of. 
have absolutely no idea of Mallorca, Spain. And then the next year I'm back doing a six-week retreat. And then I did another one. And now it seems like in these last several months I've been guided here to start this base over here for Jesus. And I don't know, why does he keep sending me back to Mallorca? Uh, I don't know. I, but I, I keep just, it's almost like here I am again and again and, and yet again and yet again. And it's like, and things are, people remembered me from years ago and offering things and all these miracles are like cascading around me. And it's quite amazing. And it's always in the moment, but it's just happening so easily. Doors are opening everywhere. Uh, and it's the same place. I've been on six continents, but I don't know why I keep getting sent back to Mallorca. But but I but there's not a part of me that analyzes it. You know, it's just like okay, there's a there's a strong feeling of purpose, and the joy is important, and the holy encounter is important, and all those things, and the synchronicities. I know you've had many 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 synchronicities. They're popping all over the place, so. That's good enough for me. And, and I think maybe it's just that part, the ego is trying to analyze it or something, you know, like trying to say, why are you going back to this place when really the focus is what do I have to give and what do I have to extend? And then I'll just let Jesus arrange time and space. You know, it's like I'll, I'll show up anywhere for anything, just following that sense of needing to give and extend. And you're a giver. You're, you know, you're an extender. You, you're in it. You know, this is your life. This is your devotion. You just need to be reminded of that and not, not get off too much into, like, trying to analyze the, the place, like, like out of a fear thought. Like, is this a, a fantasy trap, or, you know, just come back to your, to your heart, to the, the core of what it's all about. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, we might have time for one more question or comment, I think. Okay. Next on the list is Lenny. Go ahead, Lenny. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to speak a little bit, David, about this. Um, yeah, what you mentioned when you kind of answered my question about putting the purpose out front. And I recently was at Kirsten and Jackie's inner listening retreat in Denmark. And that was just such a beautiful example for me that it is possible to live this way that you have described so many times and that I haven't really gotten that strong yeah experience of but i really going there i mean i traveled from the north of sweden to denmark and that's quite a long journey with several flights and everything and but i really felt that i stepped into that yeah putting the goal on up front the purpose up front and just from the moment i left here and then going there um, i was just in a different kind of yeah a different state of mind a different mode and 
like you described, everything that occurred, it was okay and it wasn't like I fighted anything and there were a lot of things coming up for healing, but I welcomed them. And I, yeah, I was just in a completely, yeah, in a flow that I haven't really experienced so strongly before. And like you also described this being in this gratefulness and the bliss, I had to stay an extra day because the plane home didn't fit. So I had to go to Aarhus with one friend, Steffi, from the retreat. And just that day, that afternoon we had there in Aarhus, it was just so beautiful and how things just clicked into place. And yeah, I mean, that was amazing. And that really showed me what is possible and I can sense that I was in, yeah, I was dropping all this planning and like taking care of things like I normally do. And what just flowed out of that was so beautiful. And then, of course, coming home, it's a different picture because it almost felt like going away and going to a new place. There are so many things that that aren't set, you don't know them, there is much, like, it feels new to you, you don't, you don't so easily go into routines, like when you go away. But then when I came home, I really felt that it was hard to stay in that flow. Because then that, that the I know mind takes over and, and, yeah, I know how to go to work, you know. I have to be there a certain time. And what if I come late? Then I have to work longer and, you know, and blah, 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 and everything. And I have to, you know, fix the food every day and there is this and that. And you didn't have any laundry to clean when you were away. No wonder you were in a peaceful state of mind. You know, the ego always comes in and have, has an interpretation for everything. And so I'm kind of... I'm so grateful for that experience when I was away that I really felt, wow, I mean, there were real decisions to make also during that travel to the retreat and being there. It's not like I just sat in a chair and had everything served to me. So, but I was in a completely different state of mind and I just feel that I want to take that with me home. Like I want to practice that here when I'm in my daily routines where things seem to be much more set and everything. And yeah, I think I'm slowly, slowly getting that. I'm feeling less driven by time and less like pushed and more peaceful even in the morning when I get prepared I mean, there are tasks for me to do from when I wake up in the morning till late at night when I go to bed, but it, but it feels different. Even if I cannot say I've made the shift completely, but I feel there are small things happening and I don't feel as stressed. And so, but I was, I was just, I wanted to share, it was so beautiful going to the retreat and just having this, wow, this is possible. It is possible. What if I could live every day like this? Now I know what you're talking about. And I, I really feel, oh my God, David's always talking about him traveling. I mean, this is not a fairy tale. It's real. 
that happened to me too. It was just yeah. so beautiful. And then I came home and like everything is crashing down. I'm like, what is happening? So, yeah. yeah. So I'm working on that. So, yeah. And that's also why I decided, you know what? I'm going to book the next retreat. When you're coming in October, I'm not going to miss that. So, yeah, I'll practice and then I'll show up in October and really practice to drop the expectations. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. I'm so, so glad you shared that because, you know, sometimes we have these online gatherings and then we do some retreats here and there and we say, oh, did you see so-and-so? They came off the screen. <laughs> As if you come off the digital screen and we get to hug them. Oh, my gosh. But it's, it's all mine. But it's like, I'm glad you shared that because we do need experience of this expansiveness just to know it's there, just as part of how we're convinced. And sometimes, you know, like when I was really giving it over, you know, when I did the five years of walkabout, I, I mean, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have done it if I was told ahead of time that I'd be out on the road for five years. But that's how the spirit works, you know, gets you out there and you, boom, you start to have these experiences and you know that it's possible. And that's what you need. It's like a, being cheered on from inside, like you can do this. So uh, I'm glad you're sharing that because that that is really important, and that's that's the beginning of this turnaround uh, of really taking the the parameters and the limits off of, off of our mind and starting to soar higher and higher. Like Jesus says, you know, let let your mind soar to those thoughts where it's free. You know, your real thoughts and and it's really important that that people hear that and have the witness for that. And even this new show I've just started watching on uh, Netflix, you know, the Kindness Diaries. Every single episode is just freeing, expanding, going beyond the limits, you know, uh, of encountering people and coming from kindness with the sweet, innocent face. Can I go home with you? Can I stay at your house tonight? <laughs> and just the looks on people's faces. And some of them, it's cold, it's icy, it's snowy, it's minus 20 degrees. It's just this big, long beard. Sure, you're coming home with us right now. You know, the, these, these reflections, some of these people don't even blink. They welcome what seems to be to the world an absolute stranger in the coldest, frostiest conditions imaginable and oh of course and he says i don't have any money come on you know not a question and so it shows us a whole new world it, a whole new world a new fantastic point of view <laughs> you know it's like from that aladdin movie it's woo so thank you thank you laney and i'm really looking forward to seeing you at the at this castle we're going to be at a castle in southern Holland in early October. So, and thank you all. This has been such a blessing. I look forward to our next session, where I'm joined. We'll we will continue on with the Q and A of of actually doing like Lainey was doing. Just what is the experience of the I know mind? Where am I seemingly caught, and how do I get lifted up? And we will continue on.
We will. So thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining in. Lenny and I are pinked, we're pinked out today. <laughs> we we get our pink on. <laughs> beautiful, 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 beautiful. Thank you so much.